the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Friday, May 5th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. This time of year brings a lot of things having to do with culture and politics. I actually think on the culture front, some of the most important things are the messages adults communicate to high school and college seniors in their commencement ceremonies. And I also think those are some of the messages where the political and non-political messages get confused. Too many who are political communicate life messages and advice in a way that is political or in ways their political point of view confuses any generally helpful non-political or life and commencement advice. And yet, one of the reasons I think commencement addresses are so important is because I think our young adults need help today in ways they never before have. In truth, we all do, really. To that end, as many of you know, I do an annual on-air commencement speech. Here is this year's. Excuse me. I offer some life lessons I hope you'll take, some from journalists, some from philosophers, some from political leaders, some from religious sources and leaders, some from scholars of other sorts, some from movies, some from some just not famous wise people. Before I begin any of it, let me first wish you congratulations on your achievement. A lot of people wish they could be where you are right now. Well done. Enjoy. First and foremost, enjoy. There will be plenty of times in your life where things are not happy or joyful. This is not one of them. Savor this. You have earned it. 1. C.S. Lewis, it seems to me, needs to be read a lot more. In the past few years, you have faced the most extraordinary of challenges from a virus, and from violence. For you in school, as for much as, much as for you not in school, as well as for us not in school. C.S. Lewis could have been and should have been our first intellectual vaccine over the last several years. On the issue of what I said above, just too much politics, too few politically free zones, too much making of politics, almost everything, C.S. Lewis warned us about this in 1945. He said, A sick society must think much about politics, as a sick man must think much about his digestion. To ignore the subject may be fatal cowardice for one as for the other, but if either comes to regard it as the natural food of the mind, if either forgets that we think of such things only in order to be able to think of something else, then what was undertaken for the sake of health has become itself a new and deadly disease. In other words, don't make everything about politics. It's not healthy. And where politics has invaded or subsumed non-political areas, they are less healthy for it. In regard to the virus that we all suffered from in your freshman and sophomore and perhaps even junior years, such will always be with us, such will always come to us, such will always be foisted upon us. So we should recall what C.S. Lewis confronted in 1948. Then it was the fear of nuclear warfare. You have no idea how much people feared nuclear annihilation in those days. 
Homes built around then, like my parents, even had bomb shelters. Here's C.S. Lewis, and I ask you to think as he did much about the next major crisis foisted upon you. Quote, In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull yourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, any microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Close quote. Once upon a time, we were told, be not afraid. Once upon a time, psychologists told us not to make decisions out of fear. Now it seems to me we just need more C.S. Lewis. Two, the best line I ever heard in a commencement speech was Ted Koppel's, actually. He told a class at Stanford, apply a strong standard of morality to your lives. And if, periodically, you fail, as you surely will, Adjust your lives and not the standards. This leads me to lesson number three. I have never, ever met a perfect person. Indeed, to many, the only perfect person died about 2,000 years ago. Do not put people on pedestals. Do not engage in hero worship. People will disappoint you. This includes parents, teachers, friends, spouses, politicians, favorite authors, and religious leaders the person you may even admire most. My friend and colleague Dennis Prager said something like this once, if you are not prepared to be disappointed in your friends, you are not prepared to have friends. There's a lot of wisdom there. Don't forget it. People will disappoint, and that's life because, four, life can be hard from time to time, and the only person who makes no errors is the person who does not exist. The famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote this, when a trout rising to a fly gets hooked and finds himself unable to swim about freely, he begins a fight which results in struggles and splashes and sometimes an escape. In the same way, the human struggles with the hooks that catch him. Sometimes he masters his difficulties, 
Sometimes they are too much for him. The struggles are all that the world sees, and it usually misunderstands them. It's hard for a free fish to understand what is happening to a hooked one until he is on the hook one day himself. So try and be understanding of others' struggles. We will all have them. That's a guarantee. Some we see, some we don't, but I guarantee you, everyone has struggles and failures too. And often, by the way, those failures will lead to great success. If you doubt this, read the biographies of any great inventor or leader from Thomas Edison to Steve Jobs, from Abraham Lincoln to Margaret Thatcher to Ronald Reagan. Failure is temporary. It will happen. And usually it is simply the world's way, life's way of clearing a path to success you never dreamed of. Which takes me to lesson number six. Try and take it easy on yourself. Today you are flying high. Tomorrow you may also be, or you may not be. You may not have gotten the job you wanted, or you may have messed up the first task you were given in the job you did get and wanted. It's okay. It happens to everyone, I promise. A failure is not, is never the end of a story or your story. And in time, I guarantee you will forget it. And so too will others, probably faster. Don't worry too much about what others think of you. Worry about what you think of you. Ann Landers got something very important and very right about this. If you worry too much about what others think or say about you, you will never move forward. You will be frozen, paralyzed. She put it this way, pay no attention to disparaging remarks. Remember, the person who carried the message may not be the most accurate reporter in the world, and things become twisted in the retelling. Live so that nobody will believe them. That last part is what bears repeating. If you are concerned about what others think of you, live and comport your life in a way that is a living, walking, breathing disproof of negative comments or disparaging remarks by others. Live so that nobody will believe them. It is, after all, more important to see a sermon than hear one. Two things are very important, patience and authenticity. On authenticity, a famous Hasidic rabbi said, the only question we will be asked, the only question we will ever be asked when we die is not why we didn't become more like this person or more like that person. We will be asked, why didn't you become you? On patience, I can only relay something I've heard a lot of leaders and successful people tell me over and over again. The greatest decisions they ever made were not decisions they thought were that important at the time. Because the greatest things that ever happened to them could not have been planned or sometimes even dreamed. I know this to be true in my life, too. So just remember, as the Talmud puts it, the only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane. You will pass the test of big things only after you pass the test of small things. Treat every seemingly small thing, then. Treat everything as big or at least as important. I have a dear friend who puts it this way. Whenever you have to face someone or something uncomfortable, ask yourself, what is my holy mission here? Just asking that changes everything. So be patient and be good. Life has a way of working out if your internal compass is pointed true north and often when you least expect it. But it works better if you are someone people enjoy being around rather than someone people fear 
or feel inferior to. There's a wonderful line in the movie Harvey that Jimmy Stewart says. His character is named Elwood, and he tells an acquaintance this, cherish it. My mother said Elwood, and she always called me Elwood. In this life, you can be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. I've been smart. I prefer pleasant. Hopefully your last four years have given you the smart you need. Now go be pleasant. I will tell you, though, there's a lot of smart in this world. If you really want to stand out, be pleasant. And be forgiving to yourself and to others. Remember the Lord's Prayer. We ask God's forgiveness a lot, and we hope for it. We depend on it. How much more so should we be forgiving of others? I know how much I appreciate it when I'm forgiven for something, so the shoe should be on the other foot, too. Be forgiving to others. Francis of Assisi said a lot of beautiful things. Here's a sentence from him that is worth remembering. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. Here's why. The best way to get out of your own head, to ease your own mind, to solve your own troubles, is to help another with his or her troubles. When you are in what you perceive to be dire straits, try to help someone else. Try to comfort comfort someone else. You'll find a magical solution to your own troubles that way. You truly will. Again, it is more important to comfort rather than be comforted and be pleasant. And it's a good way to be anyway as the Dalai Lama, maybe the happiest, most joyful man on earth, put it this way. Our chief purpose in life is to help other people. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. This from a man who is entitled to have a lot of resentments, watching his country being taken over and destroyed and forced into exile, and yet his philosophy in life is not about revenge, but about helping others, or at the very minimum, not hurting them. Be decent at all times. If there's a question as to what to do in a certain situation, difficult or not, ask yourself, what's the decent thing to do? It's a great word, decent, and it's too often forgotten. But when you think about how to implement that word, how to act on it, it's a word that almost always tells you what to do and how to do it. I know a few better self-defining words. I don't remember where I heard this, but someone once said, when there's a difficult or maddening or tense situation where you think you need to say something, put yourself through a three-part test. Ask yourself, one, does something need to be said? Two, does something need to be said now? Three, does it need to be said by me? Another piece of advice for difficult or maddening situations, it's something Fred Rogers carried with him in his suit pocket. Calm is a language the blind can read and the deaf can hear. Be as calm as you can as often as you can. Again, there's Jimmy Stewart speaking to us. Keep in mind this, people, especially young people, most often damage themselves with drugs or alcohol to change the way they feel, to feel normal, if you will, or to change their normal. Give them reasons not to need or perceive or perceive the need to change their normal. You do this by putting them at ease over whatever their situation is. We all have crosses to carry. Let them know theirs can be carried too, and it does not require a quick and damaging fix. That fix can be life-altering or life-ending. Trust me, I've seen a lot of this. The first shot 
is always a volitional choice. The second and a finite many more may not be. And too often, there's not even a second shot. When in doubt about how to feel, excuse me, when in doubt about how to deal with a difficult person, try try and find a way to love that person or at least see the child in them or some redeeming quality. Most people have something redeeming about them, something worthy of love. And if you think of them as a child, you think of their innocence and the innocence generally of a child. I recently read a great line from Helen Keller on this. She said, it is wonderful how much time good people spend fighting the devil. If they would only expend the same amount of energy loving their fellow men, the devil would die in his own tracks from boredom. If that's hard to remember, just ask my friend's question, what is my holy assignment here? I must read this old letter from a survivor of World War II concentration camps that she gave to teachers every year, courtesy of a reprint from child psychologist Heim Genot. Maybe it has resonance today, too. She wrote, I am a survivor of a concentration camp. My eyes saw what no person should witness, gas chambers built by learned engineers, children poisoned by educated physicians, infants killed by trained nurses, Women and babies shot by high school and college graduates. So I'm suspicious of education. My request is this. Help your children become human. Your efforts must never produce learned monsters, skilled psychopaths, or educated Eichmanns. Reading, writing, and arithmetic are important only if they serve to make our children more human. Of all the quotes I read in a given year, that one is the most requested for repetition. I hope it means something to and for you just now. I know there's a lot of serious above, but let it not get in the way of your true education. Hunter S. Thompson gave you the roadmap, but only on this. He said life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. I have a dear friend in college just now. She wrote something pregnant and beautiful, and I want to share it. She wrote of the importance she learned of listening. In a poem, she wrote the word three times, listen, listen, listen. And then her next line, she wrote, I used to be scared of being too much. There's a connection there. A connection between listening and learning, not just about outside things, but inside things. No, she said she used to be scared of being too much, past tense. Good. That thought is in the rearview mirror. Do not be scared ever, especially being you when you know you are a good you. Trust me when I tell you someday you will look back at a moment where you knew your learned and experienced wisdom, your internal clock, your rudimentary intuition was right, and you didn't follow it. Be much, but be much by being kind, calm, forgiving, and understanding. Trust me when I tell you the world has no surfeit of that and will notice and reward it when it sees it in you. The world is thirsting for it. Slake that first. The last thing I'll say is perhaps my favorite line ever. It's from the late education professor Leo Buscaglia, whose specialty was those with special needs. It's something I've always loved and I close with it. Only the weak are cruel. Gentleness can only be expected from
from the strong. Now, one final and important note as I close. Maybe something I've said today will resonate with you. Maybe not, but it's advice I love, and I fail each piece of it daily. To come back to where I started, people simply are not perfect. Now, go forward with your new beginning, and remember, class is not over. You still have a holy assignment, a lot of them. Go find them, and more importantly, make sure and recognize them when they find you, and get ready for a great ride. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, Open Line Friday. Anything on your mind as we come to uh, the end of Teacher Appreciation Week? Um, there's teachers, of course, who are in our public-private charter schools. There's teachers who are parents, who are homeschoolers. There's teachers who are leaders. There are teachers who are political leaders. And... Sometimes they give good lessons. We need to recognize when they give bad lessons, bad lessons for children, bad lessons for society. Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, resigned from her office today. This is probably about two years too late. But before we celebrate too terribly much or before we jump for joy too high – Just remember, what comes next could be worse. Often it is. I just noticed that the new domestic policy advisor the White House announced to replace Susan Rice is, for example, worse. This comes on an interesting day. If you go to the Washington Post, you'll find an interesting headline. It's on top of another interesting headline today. The World Health Organization declared the end of the pandemic today. The head of the World Health Organization said this is no longer, COVID is no longer an emergency. Surprise, surprise over at the Washington Post, because people want us in emergency conditions all the time, I guess. This is the mark and flag of the crisis industrial complex or what we call the crisis industrial complex. Here's the headline. Same day that the World Health Organization declared the pandemic over. Quote, disease experts warn White House of potential for Omicron-like waves of illness. Did you get that? Disease experts warn White House of potential for Omicron-like wave of illness. I'll just give you a little bit of the story. The White House recently received a sobering warning about the potential for the coronavirus to come roaring back with experts reaching a consensus that there's a roughly 20% chance during the next two years of an outbreak, rivaling the onslaught of illness inflicted by the Omicron variant. In that one-sentence paragraph, lead-sentence paragraph in the Washington Post, we get roaring back, rivaling, rivaling the onslaught of illness inflicted by the Omicron variant. This on the very day the head of the CDC resigns and the World Health Organization declares the pandemic over. There are people that want us to live in panic. There are people that want us to live in fear. There are people that want us frenzied. Frenzied. That's the word to keep in mind. Alfred Hitchcock had a movie called Frenzy. 
You may remember seeing posters of it or the ads for it. But frenzy comes from frenetic. Frenetic, meaning an unstable, an unhealthy state of mind. That's what frenzy is. It is not a good place for a population, a civilization, a polity to be. It seems to me we've had a terrible experiment with it. A terrible experiment we didn't need to go through. If you want to understand what frenzy does to a population, if you want to understand what fear married to frenzy and panic does to a population, look at this now very lamentable mental health crisis that we talk about with regard to children. Look about what it does to people. Will they please stop? My begging of them is that they please stop. All these people are instructors, too. They are teachers, too. They may not be in our public schools. They may not be in our private schools. They may not be in our colleges and universities. Their impact is far wider. And a society is taught not only by its law, but by its public pronouncements, by leaders and media like this. Please save us from such teachings. You can teach for ill or for good. All of this has been one long experiment on what bad teaching can be. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Russia, India, China, they're conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash... Could there be ties to social credit, big government, able to see your every purchase, the end of financial privacy? Own private currency, gold and silver. And now you can get free silver just for asking the Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the only precious metals dealer, I and Seb Gorka and thousands of you already know, the Midas Gold Group. Give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. 3000 or check them out online at midasgoldgroup.com. That's midasgoldgroup.com. <laughs> Hello, Doug. Hi, Seth. How the heck are you? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing just fantastic. Hey, I had some random thoughts I thought I'd put together to make a point if, if you are so inclined, if I can do that. Please do. That's why you're here. Okay. So, um, I... In terms of working with kindness and dignity, we on the right tend to think of civility and everything else. But I think some points I'd like to make that loving, lovingness and kindness doesn't mean that you don't fight like hell to stop evil. And basically to hate can be evil, but to allow evil to continue because we, we are so stressed to have kindness and love that also can be evil. And that second point, 
is that conservatives, we often tend to really fight for the institutions. I've heard that for 40 years and even said that many times. We are fighting for the institutions of our society. But we have to come to recognize that the institutions are now controlled by the left, not by the liberals, by the left. And that you will not change the institution by tampering a little bit with it that we're going to have to recognize that we're going to have to do radical transformations, both in policy, but, and also, and this is where I think we tend to fall down, is we're going to have to change personnel top to bottom. We're going to have to rip it out because we can't tamper with it or it'll continue to move to the left. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is that, can there be any change back towards the right or traditional values? even the tiniest little bit, without a wild, crazy, vicious, cruel response by the left? And the answer is no. And so if we're trying to get along, and if we're trying to just keep things happy and moving, we guarantee the continued march towards socialism. And until we recognize that, we're not going to change our tactics or Stop being afraid of confrontation because the confrontation does, isn't going to be on the right. It's guaranteed to be on the left. I um, I have no argument with anything you said, Doug, and it's nicely said as always. Thank you. A word fitly spoken always comes from you. I want to distill a little bit on this notion of love and kindness. Would you go back to uh, the opening part of what you were saying? About love and kindness. Say that again, if you will. Because of our being loving, our stress towards loving and kind, lovingness and kindness doesn't mean that you don't fight like hell to stop you. Mm -hmm. And I think many of us on our side tend to confuse that. We think because I want to be loving and because I wish to be kindness out of our spiritual principles, we tend to lay down our arms in our fight for evil, Fair fight enough. against evil. I gotcha. So <clears throat> I think that those aren't real. That's not real love and real kindness. If I agree. We're, if we're doing so in a way that appeases, excuses, or even energizes evil, your words, it's not love and it's not kindness, even if the behavior may seem radical. There is such a notion as the mercy of fools or misplaced compassion. Um, you know, I think of it. Think of it in the discussion we were having earlier in the week. Might have been the day before yesterday, or yesterday early on, first hour yesterday, with regard to these people who are uh, suffering beyond anything we would ever w- wish on our worst enemy in our streets, suffering from uh, either tremendous drug addiction or mental incapacity or a mixture of both who would rather live outside than inside while maintaining their habit. Is it more compassionate? Is it more loving and more kind to cave or give in to that which they say they want? Or is it more loving and kind to take them against their mind-addled will and help them and fix them? I, I think of it often as a as a person drowning in a pool or in an ocean. When someone jumps in to save them, 
the other person, the drowning person, has an initial instinct, which can be pretty violent and pretty strong, and that's to fight you. They try to fight the person saving, the lifesaver. It doesn't mean the lifesaver is being compassionate or non-loving. Was it loving and kind to bomb the hell out of Nazi Germany? You bet. That was the loving and kind thing to do. Yes. So I don't want us to have a, um, a, a, a misplaced compassion and a mercy of fools, which is defined as he who has... He who has um, compassion on the cruel will someday be cruel unto the compassionate. That is well said. You picked up on my point right there. And in, in what we have to recognize is that we are fighting for good, then we have to be bold and not be afraid of controversy because the screaming and the hollering on the right, if, if, Stopping the screaming and hollering is important. You guarantee evil to continue. And uh, that's no different than with our kids or any, you know, the, dealing with the left. If, you're, if you want to keep your baby happy, just give it everything you want. <laughs> and, and, and you will have a foul, self-centered, egocentric, intolerant uh, child unless you're just bloody lucky. That's right. It's, that, it's not the, the, the kind, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I, it, with all my Spare years... Spare the rod, and, and, spoil the child. Yes, the kind thing is to be disciplined and learn to rein in your emotions and to guide yourself to, by principles, and then true compassion comes through the restraint of the base emotions and everything I, else. I, I don't yeah. know why we don't get this with people. I have to take a break. You're welcome to stay and make another point or an additional one, Doug, if you want. Obviously, you always are. Uh, so bear with me through the com- the commercial break. I don't understand why we don't understand this about humans. We understand it about animals. You ever see someone who never trained their domesticated dog? It's not the kind thing to do. They will often tell you, well, they didn't want to do it because they felt bad about giving that puppy discipline. Well, they're in for about 10 years of misery. And you know who else is? That dog, it wants discipline. We'll be right back. Folks, take a look at the economy right now, whether it's the bank failures or the possible recession on the horizon or the stock market volatility. Enter Y-Refi that has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's neither correlated to the Fed or the stock market. It's an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why Refi is based here locally. I would encourage you to stop by their offices. They're over on Scottsdale Road in the one-on-one. I've been there. I can tell you. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much, and you can too. A due diligence-approved firm, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, 
or call him at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. <laughs> Hi, Doug. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead, sir. Hey there. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, by the way, with Y-REFI, uh, they're very good people. Oh, yes, they are. Yes. Yeah, they really are. So it's not just an ad. That it's true. Thank you. Um, the, I think I try to bring up these points on a personal level because they apply on larger level, like you said, with dealing with Nazi Germany or the Empire of Japan or with communism or any tyranny. Um, because we have to put this in, in our, we have to get it into our heads. And I think the conservative movement, uh, um, we have bought into the get along and I have seen the House and the Senate back in the 80s and 90s. It's all about civility and being a gentleman, which generally meant that they broke all their promises and they grew government at six and seven and eight percent and nine percent because they were not willing to go right up against it. Because even back then with Reagan, if you did anything that was moderately slowing it down yeah it goes into a spasm of anger and mm-hmm. we are so afraid of we we mistake the a left spasm of anger with um you know just politics it's not it's stopping evil um one time newt gingrich in in the house in the early 90s slowed the rate of growth of the food program in schools I from 8% that. to yeah. 6.5%. It was still growing yes. faster than inflation. Yes. And they said we were cutting food by 25 because they made up a number. It should grow 8%. That yes. was a number they just pulled out of the sky. Yes. And so we have to look at the, the get it, stop being afraid and start fighting for the principles. I love that word spasm. We should use that a lot more. It means convulsion. It's part of the crisis, panic, and frenzy they want us in. Spasm. They create spasms. Good word, Doug. Good call. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. Open lines Friday, 602-5080-960. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.